week is coming with God's favor. Amen. Great release of his mercy. In the name of Jesus. And this new month is coming with new testimonies for you. Amen. In the precious name of Jesus. Genesis chapter 3. I will continue from where I stopped last Sunday. Like I promised. We are in the series that we've tagged Mr. and Mrs. Better Half. The purpose of this series is to re-energize and stimulate us concerning our relationships. And like I said last Sunday, wherever you are right now, uh, single, trusting God for a future partner, single but yet in a relationship to be married, uh, married and having fun in your marriage, married and having um, a little bit of stress and trying to get it, you know, uh, get it better and better by the day. Or maybe you've gone through, you know, really rough patches and uh, you're experiencing a separation or you've experienced a divorce. Whichever place you are right now in your relationship, or maybe you've lost your partner and you're widowed. Whichever place you are in your relationship right now, one thing is certain that God places a very great premium on human relationships. And it's, it's will for us that we are vitally connected and that we enjoy the vital connections in our lives. And God wants us to maximize every connection that he will bring into our lives. And it's because of that that God uh, releases his grace over relationships. It's because of that that providential blessings and power is made available so Bible says one which is a thousand two ten thousand uh, it says it's not good for man to be alone and when it says man it's talking about male and female not just man it's not good for man to be alone and we said we are created for connection and not isolation and last Sunday I examined how we should view our relationships and the fact that when we focus on the little that we don't have working for us in our relationship, far and beyond the things that God has blessed us with in all the relationships that he has placed in our lives, well, what happens is that we start to lose even from where we're supposed to gain because we're focusing on only the things that are not working. And I'm going to go a little further this morning. Last Sunday, we examined the fact that that was how the first honeymoon that man would uh, experience ever got terminated because Adam and Eve focused on that which uh, God has said, this is mine. This is your symbol of submission. This, this tree in the garden, you have every other thing, but this tree in the garden, this is your symbol of submission. Leave this for me. And when they started to focus on that, it terminated uh, the honeymoon. And this honeymoon has been terminated. This morning, I'm going to be examining in all of our four services uh, what I've titled Foretelling the Future of a Relationship for telling the future of a relationship. When you look at the relationship, uh, the certain things that you will see that will, make that, that, that will signal whether this is together forever or something may go wrong along the line. And we can see this from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 3. The moment Adam and Eve sinned against God, and then God showed up, certain signs you know, uh, start to come up. Certain signs start to come up. Let's read from uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3, and I'll read from, um, from 
uh, verse 4. I'll skip a bit and then get to verse 8, uh, which is the main place that we're going. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of its fruit. Talking about the, the, the fruit of the, the tree in the garden, the particular tree that God said they should not eat of. said, Your eyes will be open, and you will be like God and knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was uh, pleasant to the eyes, and um, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it, of its fruit, and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they started to, they went into fashion design. So they made fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Somebody say coverings. For the first time, vulnerability disappeared from this relationship. Are you coming along with me this morning? The moment the crash happened, the moment you know, sin came into this beautiful garden. Vulnerabilities started to disappear. Verse number 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And at this point, God knew that something was wrong. Two things signaled to God that something was wrong. One was that man started to hide. Man started to hide. Man started to hide. And what, what caused the hiding? Can I have my slides on, please? What caused the hiding? Um... Distrust has entered this relationship. Shame has entered this relationship. And many other things. Fear has entered this relationship. Before now, Adam and Eve never had to hide from anything or anybody. And they faced all the animals in the garden. Fear was not part of the relationship at all. Because many people today... Singles and courtship relationships. And right there in courtship, you can't even trust this person. <laughs> right there in courtship, you are afraid. I mean, how do you... You know, I, I find myself in situations where I have to cancel you know, singles a lot of the time. And uh, by the time you are in a courtship relationship and a man is giving you a dirty slap, to the point that uh, when you are together, this is how you are working. Because a slap can come at any time. And then you still, you're still thinking that, <laughs> that, you know, he's a good guy and God will, God will help us and something good will come out of this relationship. I think it's, uh, some, it's a very vivid and, you know, seemingly terrible signal to you that's ringing louder than, you know, anything, that is a very toxic relationship. Extremely toxic. 
But you know, when people are in love, I wonder what we really call love and what, you know, I was speaking somewhere on Friday uh, at the youth conference. I was trying to explain the difference between love, because they asked me a question uh, about love at first sight. And without any apology, sincerely speaking, I don't believe in love at first sight. I believe in attraction at first sight. But I don't believe in love at first sight. Behold what manner of love is this, that a man will lay down his life for his brother. That's love according to the scripture. Are you still with me this morning? That's the agape love that we know. There are all kinds of love. But the one that the Bible stands for is the love that calls for sacrifice. Putting somebody ahead of myself to the point that I can live my life. Now, I've never spoken to somebody. I've never met the person before. And then, just because I saw figure eight, then I'm willing to lay down my neck for the person. It doesn't just work. We're just, we're just kidding ourselves. Can somebody sit with me this morning? It doesn't work like that. I believe in attraction at first sight. You can be seriously attracted to somebody that you're meeting for the first time, even before they say anything. You can watch somebody's mannerism and just become attracted to them. You can hear somebody's voice. You know some men with baritone voice? They speak, all the ladies turn around. And for some of them, so oh my God. <laughs> you understand? And that's what some ladies call love. Yeah? That's not love. That's attraction. Did somebody say with me this morning? Yeah. That's attraction. That's some measure of emotional connection. When we misplace that for love, we're getting ourselves into trouble. We're getting ourselves into trouble. Let me get back into my text. So, Adam and Eve found themselves in this situation where honeymoon has been terminated. I want to uh, quickly look at the, 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 the things that showed the end of their honeymoon and how we know when the relationship has started to go sour. Don't forget we're talk talking about foretelling the future of a relationship. So, Adam and Eve lost purity and innocence. They, when they fell, they found themselves in a place of shame, fear, and distrust. They lost purity. They lost innocence. They found themselves in a place of shame, fear, and distrust. On the first crack in their honeymoon was in their relationship with each other, even before God came in. There's a crack in their own relationship with each other. They started to hide some things for themselves. First, their nakedness. They had always existed like that without hiding anything from, from themselves. But the moment, you know, God came in, they started to hide for them for themselves. When you see a relationship where um, you have your own, I have my own, and uh, there's, a, there's a barricade between what I have and what you have, it's a, a form of lack of vulnerability and the unwillingness to be naked before each other. Um, 
So they lost their vulnerability because the Bible says that in Genesis 2.25, so the man was naked, I mean, and his wife, and they were not ashamed. But the moment this honeymoon came to, a, to an abrupt end, vulnerability went through the window. And one thing in a marriage relationship that you cannot, that when it starts to go bad, the relationship will go bad, is vulnerability. The ability to be naked and not ashamed. So, naked and unashamed is essential in any marital relationship. Now, let me come to singles. Because people ask the question, when we are dating, okay, physical nakedness is not allowed. Alright? But, what about some measure of emotional nakedness? Intimacy is into me, you see. Have you seen it like that before? Into me, you see. That's what in the in in, in layman language, layman's language, intimacy is into me, you see. And intimacy starts in courtship relationship from knowing that I know this person to an extent that makes me comfortable to continue to be with this person. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. That's the strength of a courtship relationship. That I know this person to an extent that makes me comfortable to want to go a little further, a little further. The ultimate level of intimacy is sexual intimacy. And that's why we say sign a contract. Sign a contract before you get into that one. Because anybody that will sign a contract has checked everything. You don't have to be a lawyer to know how to check contract details. How do you understand what I'm saying? And some people actually need a lawyer before they marry. Especially when you are marrying a complicated person. <laughs> you lawyer to help you check all the details. <laughs> That's just a joke. Alright. God came to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Do you think God did not know where Adam is? Was? Eh? Okay. Why did he ask the question? The question actually, well, obviously, the question was for Adam. But what I meant was that the question was not to enlighten God, it was to enlighten Adam. Are you still with me this morning? Yeah. The question, God knew where Adam was. So when God said, Adam, where are you? The question was not to give God any form of knowledge, but to give Adam some form of knowledge. Because a lot of the time in our relationships, we don't know where we are. We don't. We don't. Most people are like uh, somebody who's visiting his brother in Lagos for the first time, and he's coming from the village. Permit me to use the East. Coming from the East. <laughs> and then he got to... Uh, uh, um, maybe Ojota bus stop, right? That's the first bus stop in Lagos for people who are watching from outside the country. First bus stop that you get to in Lagos. And then he got there, but he didn't know whether this is Ojota or anywhere. Dropped from the bus and asked for somebody, went to a place, collected somebody's phone and said, Brother, brother, I don't know. And uh, his brother said, okay, 
Liberty Bridge and uh, plenty of vehicles or motor, whatever they call it. And you know, it was just, it just describing vaguely. You know, the truth is, but I will not be able to help him. The only thing the guy can do to help him is to say, ask somebody there where you are, exactly where you are. Because whether you are going to come by public transport to where I am, I'm going to come and pick you. I must know where you are. Many people are praying for God to come into their relationships and come into their lives, but they have not been able to define where they are. And God always wants you to know where you are. Because that's where the journey of restoration starts from. If I don't know where I am, I cannot move from where I am to where I'm supposed to be. Many people are living vaguely. And the Bible says, see that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the times, therefore the days are evil. To walk to be circumspect is to know how to watch your steps and know where you are. So can I pose a question to you this morning? Where are you in your relationships? Where are you in your relationship? Do you know the reason why, uh, apart from the attack of the devil, which is the major thing, uh, but it's not all about the attack of the devil, the reason why the boss is skyrocketing is also because people are living anyhow. The devil takes an advantage of us when we're not watching our steps and watching our back and knowing where we are. The Bible says we should not be ignorant of the devices of the devil unless it takes an advantage of us. It's not that the devil is that powerful and he cannot dissolve anybody's marriage. No. His influence becomes stronger when I don't know where I am and when I'm not taking heed to myself. So God asks you know, that question, where are you? It's symbolic. God wants Adam to be able to say, look, we are falling. <laughs> we are, where we are is not good. <laughs> I am ashamed. I have become fearful. There's no longer, no, no, no. There's nothing like vulnerability in this relationship again. We are in trouble. Well, instead of doing that, what did Adam say? He said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I hid myself amongst the trees. So why are you hiding, bros? And you know the next thing he said? The woman that you gave to me gave me something to eat, and I ate it. That's how we got here. Now, <laughs> the woman that you gave to me. How did Adam move from Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, when he said, in verse 23, and Adam said, This is now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When God presented Eve to Adam, did God utter a word? Did he say this is your wife? <laughs> this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken 
out of man. Now, compare that to Genesis 3 verse 12. Then man said, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the, of, uh, of the tree and I ate. How did Adam move from flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone? She was taken out of me, you know, and just toasting Eve anyhow and with rhymes and it became poetic all of a sudden. Seeing the woman just scattered her brain, I mean his brain, and it just became poetic, you know. Now, all of a sudden, he's refusing to take responsibility for those statements that he made. And how he named, she shall be called woman. God didn't say I brought you a woman. God only created opportunity. See, I created, it was, if, I mean, don't get me wrong, if it was created for Adam, quite all right. But God did the presentation in such a way that it was not going to be by force. God will never trample on man's will. We were created to be agents of God in the image and likeness of God. And that's why he will never trample on our will. And when we get into trouble, a lot of the time, the devil tempts us to come to the point where he tells us, blame God. Find somebody to blame. And if you can't find any human being, blame God. Because some people ask the question, but when God knows that this thing is going to be trouble for me, why did, he, why did he allow me to even marry this person? Have you heard that before? But God, I prayed now. If you knew that this relationship was not going to work, why did you allow me to date this guy? And he said, I cursed the day I met this guy. Stop cursing any day. There's nothing wrong with the day. Some people were born that day and they're living well. <laughs> it's not about the day. It's about the decision that you made. That it's not appropriate. Or that you allow something to go wrong with. Let's, let's, let's go a little further. Now, in my studies, I... I realize that there's certain empirical ways that, are, I mean, that some uh, scientists, Christian scientists, have come up with. There's a Jewish guy named John Gottman, who, did, who um, happened to be a professor of psychology uh, from University of Washington. He did a study that has a lot of correlation with Genesis chapter three. A lot, a lot of similarities. All these things I was bringing up. And he, he was very empirical in his study. For the last 30 to 35 years, himself and his partner, professor, they came up with this study about certain signals, certain things which you can measure that if you see in a relationship, especially a marriage relationship, they are predictors of how far the relationship can last. So, in Gottman's lab, they have a setup where a couple will come in and they will sit down. That man himself is a Jewish, you know, guy. Great guy. It was, he had a setup. People will sit down, you know, discussing over coffee or something. Um, couples. And they had something with which they can rate their body language. 
they would have fitted them with certain gadgets so they would know the rate of their heartbeat, uh, whether they are sweating, you know, and all that to measure fear, anxiety, different things. Uh, the kind of words that they, they, they're speaking to each other. So they, they, they came up with something over the last 35 years and their prediction has been 95% correct. And I saw a great correlation between that and Genesis chapter 3, where things can, I mean, how things go wrong in relationships. And they say, what they're saying is that whenever you see these four traits in a relationship, and it's dominant in a relationship, relationship has maximum seven years to survive, if nothing will change. The first one, and I'm going to uh, probably be able to talk about two extensively in this service, and I'll continue in the next service, but I'll mention all the four. The first one is criticism. Criticism. We saw that the moment God showed up in the garden. Bulk passing and criticism, you know, and all that. The second one is defensiveness. Defensiveness. When you, you, I mean, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit before I round off. Defensiveness. The third one is contempt. Contempt, and that's very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Contempt is a feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. That's, that's, that's contempt. And you see that, I mean, time definitely will not permit me to go into it deeply in this service, but you see that manifesting in relationships where you see the body language of somebody is talking and somebody is looking in another direction. You understand? You hear things like, you know, general words like uh, women, they think like children. So when a woman is talking, it's a child that is talking. So some men don't listen. Because just believe that women don't make. How do you put a woman at home and you call her your wife? They, you know, you, you call that person your better half. But when it comes to reason, you say she's a child. What, I mean, what level of contempt? The last one is stonewalling. Stonewalling. When people start to put serious walls between them and their spouses, you can also say blanking, you know, just blank people out. And you can see it. In fact, some of these experiments are carried out within five to seven minutes. Conversation. <laughs> and you see somebody just blanking the other person out. You know when people are, somebody is talking and you behave as if you're not hearing. When you see that consistently in the relationship, it's a signal that relationship is going south. <laughs> are you still with me this morning? All right. Criticism. At least I'll be able to touch deeply on one or two before I round off. I have just five more minutes. Criticism. The moment you start to see certain level of criticism in a relationship, it's big danger. 
And my advice this morning is don't constantly criticize your spouse and expect to be rewarded for it. Don't, don't criticize your spouse and expect. You know, some people think, let, let, let me, uh, this is how it works for me, or it used to work for me. And I thought it was working, but it wasn't working. I felt that when you criticize and you tell somebody, you know what criticism is all about? It's telling somebody about their weakness that they're already aware of and they are confused about. And you're telling them about it more. With the hope that the more you talk about it, the more they will change. But what you don't realize is that the more you talk about it, the more demoralized they are about it. And the more defensive they get about it. Because one is connected to the other. Are you still with me this morning? I said, are you still with me this morning? So, it's, it's very, very dangerous in a relationship. It leads to attacks. Yeah. When criticism becomes very strong, we start to actually attack each other. Criticism, criticism is like making uh, uh, or di diagnosing personal defects of your spouse and wanting them to praise you for it. All right? You diagnose your spouse, the personal defects, and you, when you finish, what somebody is expecting is that, oh, thank you. Thank you. I might say, is that not what we expect? Thank you. In fact, I will, I will, I will do better. <laughs> that's, that's what we expect. Thank you for showing me all my weaknesses. In fact, can we have dinner on Friday? Because you have done well. That's what most people expect. <laughs> That's what most people expect. Can we have dinner on Friday so we can, you can talk more about it? Stating the problems in a relationship as a defect of your partner is destroying your relationship. Thinking that the problem in your relationship is only because of the defects in your partner is destroying the relationship. Are you still with me this morning? When God asked Adam, where are you? God expected Adam to say, Abasa, I've messed up. And where we are, where we are is very bad. Both me and the woman, very bad. And we need some help. We will make do with some measure of grace and mercy. Are you still with me this morning? But when you start hearing words like, you always leave the lights on. You always forget to turn off the tap. You always, you know, you, you never remember X, Y, and Z. All you're saying is, you're just a terrible person. And you can't tell somebody they're terrible all the time and expect, men are even very bad at it. You know, men can finish criticizing a woman and want to sleep with her. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, couples here will bear me witness. Because the man, man's brain is compartmentalized. That department of intimacy is different from all other departments. Yeah. So 
You can finish dealing with somebody and, you know, destroy the person's self-esteem. Talk anyhow. And be asking for the person to report for duty. <laughs> praise God. I said, praise God. Attack will generally lead to defense. Am I saying the truth? Attack will always lead to defense. When I specialize in criticism, and I criticize all the time, what I should expect is that my attack will lead to defense. When Adam spoke about the woman, the woman that you gave me, the woman quickly defended herself. The serpent that you created. <laughs> As if they didn't know that the serpent was in the garden earlier. Before I go to the last one, which is defense for uh, this service, um, the self-antidote for criticism is I will catch my spouse doing something right. When was the last time you caught your spouse doing something right? It works everywhere. It works in the office. It works at home. It works everywhere. Some of us here have subordinates at work. We are partners at work that we work with. And we always see what they don't do right. I was telling you about myself. Uh, um, was it last Sunday? Where I said, you know, it just looks like I'm a little more wired to see what is going wrong. And if you're like me, you need to de be deliberate about how you make the shift. So sometimes you are going to a place and you are telling yourself, I'm not going to blow up. I'm not going to, you know, see. Uh, even though I see what is wrong, I will also look for what is right there. You know, some people visit people. You visit, you are visiting somebody's house. And right there, you are sitting down. All the wrong things they are doing in that house, you have a list. Like ten. Say, ah, this is their sitting room. Ah, now wow. When was the last time they painted this house? It's like a gift. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But if you are like that, you... <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about... This is not your house. This is not your family. You know, if you have such a people, such a person as a friend, you are in trouble. They can scatter your home for you. you say, ah, I was in your house the other day. The way your wife was talking to you, if it was me, ah, she would hand his lap. There's no way. There's no way. Yeah, that's what they were telling you now. Because they, they see... They just see things that are not appropriate. And if you are wired that way, it's not wrong. It's a gift from God. Because you are like a regulator. How do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's like you, you, if you have that kind of gift, for instance, and you work in the bank as an inspector, you will be good on your job. Am I saying the truth? Because you get to a branch and before you even talk too much, you have seen a, a, a few of, uh, of the exceptions. But it doesn't really work too well in marriage. You have to create the balance deliberately. To say, I'm going to see what somebody is doing well. And I'm going to mention it. I'm going to say it. People respond better to criticism when you have credit in your emotional bank account with them. That's one factor that helps people to respond positively to criticism. Because criticism erodes your, the emotional bank account that you have with your spouse. 
chrism leads to withdrawal, withdrawal, withdrawal. If you cannot balance criticism with some measure of praise, with some measure of recognition for something else that they are doing well, what will happen? Even when your criticism is constructive, it will meet with the wall of China, the great wall of China. I'm serious. Why? Because your spouse is emotionally bankrupt. Because of your continual coming and you have wearied him or her out. Lastly, this morning, when criticism becomes great, some other times, not even because of criticism, some people are also just defensive. They will never own up to anything. They have an excuse for everything. There's a reason why something should be the way it is, and they are always arguing and making their case. So it's a, a, I mean, sorry, a couple can sit down just for five to ten minutes, and they're talking, and you will see that there's a huge amount of defensiveness in this relationship. Nobody takes responsibility for anything. Defensiveness is a self-centered way to live. Horrible, self-centered way to live. You don't take responsibility for anything. It's, you, you have devised ways of you know, wading off perceived attacks. And all the time, whatever is coming from your spouse, you believe that it's an attack. Even when they're trying to make sense. And when anything happens, you say, it's your fault. It's because you refuse to do this. Or if you have done that, I will have done this. Am I saying the truth? That's what happens. That's what people do a lot of the time. And what's, what's the antidote for defensiveness? To always tell yourself, I'm not under an attack. I'm not under any attack. And I don't need to defend. I don't need to defend. I can hear my spouse and hear the, the person out completely. I can hear my partner out completely. With no defense, no attack. I'm just hearing somebody out. Praise God. I'm just hearing somebody out. Matthew chapter 7, when you read from verse 1 to 5, and pick and decide to change certain words there, it will summarize what I've said this morning. Matthew chapter 7, I read from verse 1 to 5. Are you still with me? Judge not that you may not be judged. For with whatever judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck when you, when, as you are reading this scripture, wherever you see brother, change it to partner. And it will make more sense. It says, for why do you look at the speck in your partner's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own high. Or how can you say to your partner, see that word again, brother, change to partner. How can you say to your partner, let me remove the speck in your high 
and look, a plank is in your own. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your partner's eye. Lift your two hands with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your grace coming upon us afresh as a congregation to follow you in our relationships, to yield to you, and to allow you to build with us. Whatever has corrupted any relationship under the influence of this service, whether courtship relationship or marriage relationship, I declare this morning a release of the fresh grace that comes from you for a turnaround in the name of the Lord Jesus. Help us to live in peace. Help us to live in celebration. Help us to see that which you are doing in our lives and in the lives of our spouses in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, this morning we pray for someone here who has given up. We pray for someone here relationship is completely bad we ask that you God of all flesh step in in the name of the Lord Jesus Lord we ask for anyone who is in a toxic relationship toxic caustic courtship relationship that needs boldness to be able to step out we receive that boldness over your sons and your daughters this morning and we ask in the name of Jesus grant them the grace to have everything in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning with special needs in the month of September. We ask that grace comes upon your sons and your daughters to embrace divine assistance. You will not walk the month of September alone. Grace will go with you. There shall be divine assistance. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you fill us afresh with your presence. Help us to walk with you in this new month. Somebody who is already dragging, running away from you, whose attention has been taken over by something else, we ask this morning, draw them closer to you. Let this month hand for them in celebration and without any form of condemnation or guilt. In the precious name of Jesus. Say with all eyes bowed and all eyes closed. Can I pray for someone in this service this morning who may be saying, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to yield my life to Jesus.